Well, hello, I'm here with Caitlin to talk about flying aliens and other things, but I think the first thing is to hear about her telescopes. Go ahead. Oh, well, <laughs> this is becoming an astronomy podcast. Uh, no, no, nothing so, wrong with that at all. No, no, absolutely not. So behind me is a picture I took earlier this week. This is part of the Veil Nebula. So this is sort of the tail end of the Veil Nebula, sort of just a, a small portion. So previously I've taken pictures of the Veil Nebula as a whole with my smaller telescope. It's a very large object in space. Um, and so I recently got a bigger telescope, has much more zoom. And so I just zoomed into a small part that's very dim and I couldn't actually see it <laughs> with my previous telescope. But I zoomed in. Um, so one thing that, that's very interesting is that um, this was a sort of secondary shot I was done with my first picture, which you saw in the last podcast, which was the Dumbbell Nebula. And so I thought I would turn my telescope over to the Veil Nebula just as a test to see how it compares to my old one. Unfortunately, the clouds rolled in <laughs> right after I started shooting. I only got about 10 exposures and stuff. So this was a very short, just quick snap. And then I was back inside, but it turned out great. I mean, if you zoom in and pixel peep, you'll see a lot of noise, which you would expect from a, you know, which from such a short amount of time taking this picture. Uh, but what you're seeing is true color. Uh, so this is taken with a standard color, one shot camera, no filters. Uh, so if you could see this nebula in space, this is what you would see. You'd see the deep red, which is, of course, hydrogen. And then you see this sort of light blue, which is part oxygen and part sulfur. And you can see they somewhat separate a little bit, but it creates a little 3D contrast with each other, which is which is nice. Um, and, and so that's, that's one thing that, that has sort of bothers me about a lot of astronomy is that they use... Uh, narrow band filters on cameras in order to you know get a specific point of of the nebula uh, which is great for scientific research uh, but doesn't give people a true understanding of what it really looks like so you have things like the hubble palette where it takes specifically like hydrogen alpha on the, like the red channel which is fair enough but they don't take like oxygen on the green channel and then something like sulfur on the blue channel or something like that which i mean is not how these actually look <laughs> Um, it is a better way to do it, admittedly. You, you get nicer pictures, but it's not a true true color image. Um, but this is true color, which is nice. Um, and so I was just about to tell Sam that, you know, my telescope is working better than I, I thought. Uh, so the original idea was a long time ago, I told myself if I ever moved to a place with dark skies, I would spend the money to get a good telescope set up. Now, I've worked with telescopes before, and so I know how much a good telescope setup costs. Unfortunately, I mean, if you go to Amazon, you'll find telescopes for like $100. You might be able to zoom in on the moon a little bit, but they're basically toys. Uh, there's a whole lot you need to do astronomy right, and it's not cheap. Um, so you're looking at at least, you know, like $5,000 for a decent astronomy setup, assuming you know what you're doing. I would say if you're starting out, borrow equipment, go to an astronomy club. Uh, but once you know what you're doing, you understand it does cost about $5,000 minimum, you know, to get a really good, you know, telescope setup. I mean, you can do it cheaper um, to start off if you just want to take your old DSLR, which I don't have. I don't have an old DSLR to like reuse. I had to get all the new astronomy equipment. But you can get an old DSLR, put it on a makeshift equatorial mount and take a picture of the Milky Way or something like that. But if you want to do actual astronomy, it costs a lot of money. Um, and so this was kind of a a test. Um, 
uh, somebody posted a picture you doing that exact same technique. They had an old DSLR. They pointed at the night sky and they got a picture of a nebula. Now, I have been doing astronomy in the Bay Area for a long time with very powerful telescopes. And then when I look at nebula in our light polluted areas, I see a smudge at best, if that. Um, and so this person said, oh, look, it's the nebula. It's, it, it was like the Viking helmet nebula or something like that. And I was like, my God, like I like you took this in San Francisco. They're like, yeah, yeah. I just up the exposure. I'm like, I can use this for astronomy. I can finally do real astronomy. So I spent the, you know, and, and I had no idea if this would work or not, but I specifically went out to build telescopes to work in light polluted areas. And it totally works. Uh, basically, you you do something called electronically assisted uh, astronomy, EAA. Uh, you, you use a lot of computers and uh, very specialized camera equipment that are like cooled to like below zero. And, you know, you do everything you can to like reduce the noise. Um, and I've been playing around with a bunch of software and stuff like that. And so you do both pre-processing and post-processing. And basically what happens is that if you were to go to a dark sky site, you can maybe spend 45 minutes capturing an object, move on to the next one. Now, getting to a dark site from San Francisco in the Bay Area will maybe take you about four hours to drive there. What I can do instead is set up my camera and just have, instead of doing 45 minutes, do like a two or three hour session and get the same results. So you see it, it it all balances out. In fact, it's probably faster <laughs> to do this. So I, I specifically built telescopes to work in, you know, light polluted areas. And I've been testing it out specifically in not only the Bay Area, which is a Bortle 8, Bortle 9, meaning very high light pollution area. I've also been testing it out in a parking lot with floodlights. <laughs> it works great. Uh, in fact, I've I've experimented with using filters. So one of the things I, I found early on were that there are light pollution filters, which filter out lights from specific sources like sodium lights you find in the city, which aren't used that much anymore. But you also have things like moon glow and stuff like that. And what I found is that those are garbage. Um, you, you throw them out. You don't use them. You just straight up capture the image. Um, and then what happens is that the cameras are so specifically designed for industrial and scientific purposes, that they have a huge, what's called a a, a well. Um, so it can just collect light, collect light, collect light um, for a very long period of time and not become oversaturated, which is fine. Um, and then you go and process that. And basically the way it works is that you take maybe a three minute exposure and I'm grossly oversimplifying this. Taking a three-minute exposure of the sky is not an easy task because the sky, of course, is always moving. Uh, so there's a whole thing there of, of tracking everything very precisely. But you take like a three-minute exposure, two to three minutes, and you do it again. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. And you can combine all those images and essentially use that to get rid of even more noise and get what you're trying to get to pop out. And then there's some techniques with post-processing in which you can you know manipulate the image afterwards without just without compromising the integrity of the image what i mean by that is i mean it would be really easy to of course just draw over the image and get whatever you want and that would destroy the integrity of the image uh what i'm talking about is you know getting the contrast correct you know getting the you know white balance correct uh getting the levels set you know to where they need to be in order to get what you want to pop out um 
and there's there's also a few techniques to get rid of like glow and vignetting. I'll get into that, but you do all that and boom, you, you get these final images that are honestly better than what you could have gotten a decade ago from a dedicated, you know, astronomy observatory in the dark site. They really are good. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I've been up to the past few months. I've been building this thing and I'm super happy it now works. Um, and I'm currently, as I said, like Sam, I'm building a um, a server rack that goes on the telescope itself because there's a whole lot of processing involved. Um, and currently it's just using a Raspberry Pi uh, to do all that stuff, but I can do better. We can do better. With the uh, so, sure. uh, Yeah, so I'm using this uh, PC called a, a Melee, which is USB-C power delivery powered. Very small, but it runs a Celeron. It'll run. It runs Windows Pro. Um, I can remote in, so I can sit out in the parking lot, uh, set up the Wi-Fi networking, so I can remote into the system, mm -hmm. <laughs> and do it all from my apartment remotely, um, as well as run some additional software, more advanced software than what I'm currently running. Sounds great. Yeah, it, it works. I'm so happy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Well. Uh, anyway, let me. Uh move on to what I thought is the exciting story, which I put as my background. So let me share it so you can see it, which is here. All right, this is the chart I've talked about a lot. It's the best one I've managed to make so far. What you see here is the growth, gross domestic product growth rate in a year for China in blue and the US in green. And this explains so much about the modern world. And right now, as you can, I mean, as you can see, the United States has been on a relatively stable two to three percent growth rate for decades, and except for dips for crises uh, like the savings and loan crisis and COVID. But China has been the wonder of the world. They have had about an eight to ten percent growth rate for three or four decades, and this has never been seen in the human history, where people where growth is that fast, and this has led to an unbelievable explosion of wealth in China and people observing their children doing so much better than their parents. And this is something that makes people very high morale, very happy about their government, very patriotic and proud of their system, because this is, I think, what makes people value their system more than anything else is that parents see their children succeeding. And they have been succeeding to an insane extent in China at an absolutely impossible, unsustainable growth rate of 8 to 10%. And the problem is they've done that by rapidly moving from very, very far behind up to equal with the United States in a few decades. But you can't keep growing at that rate because now they have caught up with the United States and you have to actually develop new technologies and procedures and you can't just um, take them. And so now... And COVID led to a sudden screeching halt. Now they've suddenly shrunk down to approximately equal to the United States rate of growth, which is all you can get. And it's what we're used to over here in regard to a successful society, but they are not used to that in China at all. And therefore, their leader is now desperate and doing crazy things and becoming extremely hostile and doing more and more unwise things to try to hold on to power um, as the... Uh, people are very unhappy. And so first he had all these crazy COVID lockdowns that crushed the economy. And then he just lifted them and people protested, showing that he didn't actually have any good plan. And now they're trying to 
you imitate the American economic model to get the growth rate, but they're trying not to have the chaos that comes from it. And so um, they've there's an article here on uh, law.com talking about the new rules for Chinese data transfers. They're trying to limit the social chaos created by high-tech entrepreneurs. And so they've caused, like several countries, like the UK, they have a new rule to snoop on what people are doing online. But as typical in China, they passed a law that is extremely sweeping and unclear. So in just a couple of months, a law will take effect requiring all U.S. companies to cause all data transfers that conclude information about Chinese people to pass through a government agency for approval and inspection. And nobody can quite figure out exactly what who needs to do this, where they would send it, how it would work, how you can possibly comply with this. And the punishment for noncompliance is ruthless. So a lot of American companies are just leaving China, saying uh, under these rules, it'll be impossible to do business here. And you know, I went to a meeting years ago with the Chinese ambassador coming to the United States trying to convince American companies to invest in China and saying, don't worry, we're not going to just nationalize and take everything the way we did before. But nobody really believes that. That's certainly an option on the table is just seizing the company's assets. In the, and that's not that far from what happens if you try to do business in China now. So it's very unclear. And there's also an article particularly of interest to the hacker community explaining what happened to Naomi Wu. Naomi Wu is real sexy cyborg. She's been a big tech influencer for years. And she for notable for two things, uh, detailed build-it-yourself projects and very interesting technical analysis of all kinds of technical things and YouTube videos and such. And also her outrageously sexy appearance, which she explains in a video how, how she grew up this way and decided to just adopt this outrageously feminine appearance like a go-go dancer and how she likes it and you if you don't like it just shut up but it's not a pretty good attitude to take if you're gonna and uh but you know i did wonder like everybody else why does she look like that most people don't want to look like that what's going on and she finally explained it one day which is fine but anyway um a couple months ago the government came down and said nope you can't do any more of this you have to shut up you no more youtube videos no more nothing and she's crushed and they did the same thing to Jack Ma, the founder of the Ant Group and uh, other major companies. They're, the heavy hand government is crushing the economic sector to try to hold on to control of society. So it's interesting to watch. Over here, we have basically no control of society to the extent where we appear to be destroying our society with this huge rush of anti-science um, and, and racial bigotry and stuff that we don't seem to have any control over. So... We're, we're, we're demonstrating two extremes. Over here, we have extreme freedom of thought and speech, even to the extent of dangerous, destructive thought and speech. And over there, they have not enough freedom to where they crush down the economy. It would be sort of nice if we could somehow find a middle ground, but it doesn't seem to be much sign of that. Anyway, I think this is a big issue of our age, what's going on with America and China. And, uh, it, it doesn't look like we're going to settle it in any good way anytime soon. So another thing to consider is that, you know, we were you were talking about GDP growth being steady. And I recently read a paper, and unfortunately, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, so I don't have it ready. But it was looking at energy consumption, you know, in correlations, you know, to GDP growth. Um, and it turns out that energy con consumption actually goes up over time, you know, as our standards of living increase. 
and that creates waste heat. Uh, so anytime you have, you convert, you know, free energy into useful energy, you, you create, you know, waste energy essentially. And right now, most of global warming is due to carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And it's, it's about, you know, um, but it's a very small amount of global warming is due to the fact that we're, you know, actually just burning stuff and, uh, you know, running our air conditioners and cooling our server centers and running these computers, which produce extra heat. But it's a very small amount, not enough to really, you know, concern ourselves over. But if we keep up our stand, our current growth rate, the problem is that the waste heat will also exponentially increase. So in about 400 years, if we continue to have a sort of standard GDP growth, uh, we'll be producing so much waste heat that we will essentially boil the ocean and forget about carbon dioxide. I mean, th that'll be the big thing. Um, so eventually we're going to have to figure out as a species, where when do we want to become steady state? Because we can't just keep growing forever. This is not yeah. sustainable. Yeah, well, I think, I think um, on that timescale, I think this is very simple. All you need is a little more wealth and more sexual equality, and we will not reproduce so much. And so our population will fall. I think logically the population should be about 10 times less what it is. And then we would have enough room for everybody and enough resources for everybody. Right. But you still run into the same problem that if the, even with a smaller population with GDP growth, eventually there'll be enough waste heat to create another global climate crisis. All right. Well, you're right. We also have to yeah. stop this endless growth thing where everybody yeah. expects more and more and more until everybody has to have two cars and three cars, and then they have to have their own rocket ship, and then they have to have their own island fortress compound. Obviously, yeah. you can't all live like Elon Musk. You gotta, no. You've got to settle down at some reasonable standard of living, which I think the Europeans show this. Right, like right. European socialist countries, everybody's sort of settled. They don't have this outrageous wealth disparity. Correct. Yeah, yeah, so eventually we'll have to figure out when we want a sort of steady state. Um, and it should be sooner rather than later. Like I said, 400 years is the current prediction of when it'll be way too late. Um, so within sure. the next like 200 years, we need to figure out. Yeah. Well, I think it'll happen a lot faster than that, because as I mentioned before, I grew up in the population panic of the Silent Spring in the 60s. And at that time, it looked like in maybe 30 years, we'd be in a disaster. And it didn't happen at all because natural forces we did not understand prevented it. And I think any prediction going out three or 400 years is just going to be essentially meaningless. Uh, there are probably large factors that are not considered that are going to make an effect much sooner. And and right now, like I said, our, our big concern is carbon dioxide. That is... Right. We got to fix that. Yeah. That and we got we can focus on that first. Then we can talk about slowing down, you know, the economy and getting to a zero percent constant zero percent GDP growth. Well, and I think this is is related to what I was saying earlier. This is another problem with the American system. Our American system of capitalism is based on this endless greed that having more and more stuff will make you happy. And you know, I think we need to grow up and knock that off and consider a more realistic philosophy of life where you don't really need to have endlessly increasing wealth to be happy. You just need to have enough wealth to be comfortable. And then you should focus on something other than money right. to give value to your life. Right. Um, this is something I, I take to heart as well. Um, once you have enough money that you're not worried about money, yeah, you should really focus on you know your hobbies, your, your family, your loved yeah. ones. 
I mean, this yeah. is what gives your life meaning. I understand if you don't have enough money, money is very important. Yeah. And it, you know, they say money can't buy happiness. That's bullshit. Uh, if you are, if you are very poor and yeah. struggling, money absolutely can buy you very much peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, lack of money can bring you misery. Right. So money can bring you happiness and that brings you out of there. Right. But after that, just getting more and more of it, it doesn't really add anything. Right. It's exactly like RAM. You know, if you don't have enough RAM in your computer, it's going to be painful. You know, it's not going to run very well. But after a certain point, you can keep putting in more and more RAM. It's not going to make your computer any faster or any better. Well, you know, that makes all sense to me. But I have a feeling there are some people that wouldn't understand that the the happiness in life is just like RAM. You know, I think it's uh, th anyway. Well, I like no, that. I mean, I, 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 like I, I get it. We have such economic disparity in the United States yeah. that a lot of people who live in poverty in poverty dream of wealth and they cannot understand why anyone would not want to just have more and more money but it's absolutely true that that at a certain point it just stops giving you happiness and i've seen this over and over again because i grew up in a, in a wealthy area and a bunch of my friends parents spent their lives in the pursuit of as much wealth as possible and they got jobs that are miserable i mean they do stock trading, ridiculous economic stuff for a living. And it's just boring. They don't care about it. They just want to get away from their job, you know, and, and it's a lot of work too. So they don't spend time with their family and then they become middle-aged and that's where you get midlife crises. So those people driving the expensive sports cars and stuff like that, that's a lot of that has to do with, with a bad relationship that people have with the accumulation of wealth. Yeah. Very sensible. All right. Well, let me go back to you. You've got the the Nazis. Oh yes. Oh, did I even? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is my first article. Yeah. What, how 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 far are we in the podcast so far? Oh, you know, about uh, a half hour in. Half hour. Okay. Okay. First article. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. This, this well, works. You know, the articles aren't the only thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, let me let me share my my article here. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Boing Boing by Mark uh, Frogenflieder. Oh, no, Fraunfelder. He is Fraunfelder. The son, he's the son of my thesis advisor, Hans Fraunfelder. I oh, think. really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I don't that, think I've ever met world. him, but I knew his father well. Uh, I'm pretty oh. sure he's the son of. I it's a. I think I heard that. It's not that oh. common a name. Anyway, go ahead. Oh. Anyway, uh, yeah, small world. That's amazing. So this is one of the reasons why I mentioned the author. Sometimes this happens. Sometimes you're like, oh, I know that person. Um, as well as I want to give people credit. I don't actually do any journalism. <laughs> I just read the articles and share interesting stories that other people have written. So they, they deserve all the, all the credit. I'm just here giving them publicity. So we Boing Boing has this color commentary. Yes. Yes. Um, so oh, the X Corporation, which used to be Twitter, because they hate having brand recognition <laughs> and assets because yeah. um, Elon um, uh, is having problems with people pulling brands because of Nazis. So this, this has been a thing for me. I've been off social media and it's been kind of painful because I miss interacting with my peers. Um, and I, I do like keeping up with a few friends, but I just can't get myself back on to Twitter because my feed is filled with disgusting, you know, bigoted remarks. And if you report it, nothing gets done anymore about it because 
you know, light bigotry is now okay on Twitter. You know, as long as you don't pull out, you know, the, you know, super swear words. Well, to be fair, as far as I could tell, you could report harassment all you wanted on the old Twitter and nothing got done about it either. Um, Stuff got done. I've, I've enough people, you know, it, it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah. Um. Uh, but now it looks like people are leaving Twitter. Uh, not people, I should say. Companies, brands. And this is where it will hurt Twitter the most. Because when brands leave, revenue leaves. And now they're stuck with the old dilemma of now they actually have to fix the problem. Which is exactly what Twitter was doing before Elon took over. And why Elon was complaining about why why can't we have all the Nazis? Well, because brands don't like being associated with Nazis for some reason. That's beyond my comprehension but i like it yep. <laughs> i'm not going to complain uh so they're, they're so um so brands are pulling off of twitter because of the lack of of content moderation so hopefully they will stop whatever elon is doing you know someone has to sit elon down and just be like dude listen <laughs> you want to change twitter to x fine that's stupid whatever fine you don't like money whatever a lot of us do like money and at the very least, we need ad revenues because these companies, all social media companies, including like Facebook um, and Instagram and all those all those sites, they're ad companies. They're not yep. social media companies. They're ad companies. And as soon as the advertisers start pulling out, that's bad news. So hopefully we'll see some some results. Um, as And the funny thing is like Twitter was saying how they're trying to like improve their their brand and make it better for advertisers but apparently it's just not working we all know why it's, it hasn't been working so like i said hopefully this is the start of some good changes over there well you know you could argue that media is a vanity press now like the washington post it doesn't really make much money it doesn't really need to make money you just need a billionaire that's willing to uh support it forever at a loss and musk if Musk wants to support Twitter as an alt-right forum for his extreme values at a loss, as just a hobby, it can persist, I guess. I guess. Um, you know, which is which is too bad because we really do need good journalism when you live in a democracy. I mean, this is not an not an option. We do need sites. And I, I know it's it's hard to compare Twitter to journalism. But in all honesty, people do get a lot of their a lot of their news and information from social media, and unfortunately, you know we all know that's not a good idea. Um, and, but it would be nice if if these companies took their responsibility to society a bit more seriously. But of course, that is not how you get rich by being well, ethical. Yeah, well, I find Mastodon quite useful to get news. I get my news links there for information showing you can social media can be a source of news. As long as you treat it like the internet, you realize you want to see links to articles. You want to be able to read the articles and go back to original sources and things like that. Uh, so I mean, it can serve a purpose. And now that Twitter has self-destructed, a bunch of others have appeared. Yeah. So, so in a way it's all healthy. I mean, if Elon wants to run this as a crazy thing, that cannot succeed economically, then it will just become an eccentric vanity project and the um, marketplace will produce alternatives for people who are serious about running businesses and he'll just be an eccentric thing on the side. Yep. Which is not necessarily bad. In a way, you don't want to like, I don't think anybody can talk sense in him and you don't really want to like 
offend him because he's quite valuable with Starlink and uh, SpaceX and the, uh, the Tesla cars. You would like him to continue doing those valuable things. So perhaps letting him have his Nazi rag on the side is the social cost we have to pay for the benefits he brings. You know, I, I, I'm sort of old fashioned in that I, I've, I feel that Nazis should be shunned from society. Even if they've done good things before, no amount of good deed makes you not a Nazi. Well, we got our space program from the Nazis. I mean, it's, yeah. this is, uh, it would be nice if if we could just have the good people and, and expel the bad people, but it's not that simple. It's not, uh, but I'm okay if we say, Elon, go to an island. We don't want to do business with you. Have someone else take over SpaceX. Well, have someone else, you know. Oh, yeah, well. And it's not thing. entirely clear to me what Elon did to make Tesla and SpaceX as successful as they are. Um, you know, if you're yeah. the CEO or owner of a company that just makes a good product, um, uh, well, the owner, I should say, not the CEO. I think the CEO does stuff. But if you're the owner of a company that just makes good products, I mean, what what exactly have you done other than just like invest? I don't know. Yeah, well, this is something, again, I hear a lot from Scott Galloway, and it makes sense, is we really ought to have a board of directors answering to the shareholders, and the CEO should not be like a dictator that can't be fired. And that is not the case in Elon Musk companies. They are just dictatorships, and that does violate the corporate governance structure that is designed to prevent this. So there may come a time when there's like shareholder revolt. And they actually depose Elon Musk the way they deposed Steve Jobs at Apple when he started running the place into the ground. That's the way it's supposed to be. The CEO is supposed to be like a president, and they can get kicked out just like a president if they fail to perform. But that's not what happens with Elon Musk, because like Donald Trump, he's so adept at making all the cameras focus on him and making himself into a celebrity that he appears invaluable and irreplaceable. It's a pretty good stunt. It is, but it it doesn't explain what he's done specifically to make these companies a success, other than being a celebrity of sorts. No, it's social engineering. It's a way to maintain power. Anyway, um, so the Risky Biz News has, has, the last couple of cases, the Risky Biz News has had a headline article, which they go into in great detail, which is quite interesting. And this time they talk about PowerShell's package repo. I wasn't even aware of this. Apparently, PowerShell has a package repo like NPM, where you can download libraries of PowerShell, which sounds good, but the problem is they haven't secured it properly. Um, The other ones have had supply chain attacks with things like typo squatting, where you have a package misspelled. PowerShell has not put in any of the defenses, which is what you would expect from Microsoft. So you can um, put in modules that appear very close to real modules. And amazingly enough, there's metadata in PowerShell modules telling you the name of the company that made it. And they allow you to simply clone the metadata into yours and claim to be officially from Microsoft when you're not, which seems like something that Microsoft would prevent. It reminds me of um, when I was doing Android security audits and I found ways to steal Google passwords from Android apps. And I said, you know, you thought they would have at least stopped that. But anyway, um, it's an important demonstration, and uh, this was reported to Microsoft, and they ignored it for a while, and then they didn't properly fix it. So it's the uh, second big black eye for Microsoft security lately. 
There was another one recently. There was a major flaw that people were talking into Office 365 accounts. And again, they did not respond properly to the vulnerability disclosure until they were scolded publicly. So uh, Microsoft seems to be fouling up again. And uh, if you are using PowerShell repos, be cautious with them. And uh, all right, let's go back to you. The job recession is over. Is it really? Apparently so. Uh, so let me pull up the article here so everyone can see it. This is from The Insider by Alastair Barr. Thank you, Alastair. Your your work is, is appreciated. Uh, um, uh, so they put a, a graph here showing the amount of jobs being lost over time. And you see this, this big hump around January of 2023. Yeah. Um, and it goes up and it goes down. So last month or this month, I should say in August, uh, there were 5,000, about 5,000 tech jobs lost. So it's it, we're still not going up. Um, but you see the trajectory here. It goes you know, up and down. And it, at its peak, um, the industry lost almost 110,000 jobs in one month. Um, and now it's down to under 5,000. So they're saying that, okay, the tech recession is over. Um, I don't know what those workers are going to do in the future, whether they'll get rehired or not um, moving forward. I mean, that would have been such a waste to like fire all these people only for like a year or two later to hire them back. I mean, what a stupid, stupid move that 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 would have been. Um, but regardless, you know, people are stop are not being laid off in droves anymore, which is which is good. Yeah, very good. You know, this is a part of the Biden's soft administration soft landing, which they're justifiably very proud of. It's amazing how we've recovered from the period of high inflation without causing recession, which would have been considered impossible a couple of years ago. Well, one of the big reasons why the recession has, is, is over so quickly is, of course, because of generative AI. So a bunch of new jobs are opening up and, and tech companies are starting to expand into that. So there's this, this new market. And even the article, I think, mentions that as a, as a major factor that it that, you know, we're these tech companies want now as much talent as possible to go into generative AI. And in fact, I saw another article. Unfortunately, I didn't think we'd bring this up in the podcast. So I don't have it available. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you know generative AI really well, um, a lot of these companies are paying almost a uh, million dollars a year for, for um, developers for generative AI, which is ridiculous, which is even more than being like a dedicated APT red teamer. <laughs> well, that is... like I said, I think the sky's the limit. Yeah. And of course, being a developer on ever, whatever the hot new thing is, is of course in great demand at first. But Gartner right. already put generative AI at its peak of inflated expectations. So generative AI and people are beginning to notice the flaws of generative AI. So I think this craze has hit its peak. And right. we're going to go into disillusionment now as everybody realizes that it's not really so great. Well, <laughs> no. So unlike other tech fads, like, say, Bitcoin, yeah. um, generative AI does serve a purpose. And you can do really cool stuff with it. And moving forward, we're going to come up with new ideas. Oh, no, the problem. All, yeah. All the, tech the, stuff has, has purpose. Even Bitcoin has some purpose. No, it doesn't. Yeah, web3 is never going to happen but um but but generative ai will happen i mean that we're going to see it in our a lot of 
art production studios and stuff like that. The problem is people were misled about what it does. I have to make a religious complaint. Web3 is not Bitcoin, that's Ethereum. Okay. Bitcoin has its <laughs> separate claim for fame. But anyway. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, the whole thing about Bitcoin was people were trying to get rich off cryptocurrency, and it was it was a Ponzi scheme from the beginning. But interesting math, but a Ponzi scheme. Is is a Ponzi scheme wrapped in some very interesting mathematics? Well, it certainly is that, but it's also uh, be, on, based on some interesting economics. I mean, that's why I think the mathematics is valuable, the cryptography is valuable, and the economics experiment was worth doing. So. Right. Uh, but regardless, it didn't really add any new technologies. I never saw anything come out of of the crypto space that I was like, this, we're all going to be using this. We are going to all be using generative AI. We're going to use it to help us write our, our papers and our stories right. and proofread and That's right. generate images. Yeah. Um, much more valuable. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the problem is people were misled. They were thinking like it was AI, like it was intelligent, like it was going to do stuff for you. Yeah. We're not quite there yet. We will. I mean, that's the thing. So for the longest time, you know, AI was sort of brushed aside, sort of like, um, oh, what is it called? Um, cold fusion, right? Like people worked, it was really big for a while and people were trying to work on cold fusion and nothing ever came out of it. And so they just stopped working on it. I'm sure there's a few people here and there still trying to get cold fusion to work. Well, now um, it's room temperature superconductors, the same kind of thing. Right. And it turns out LK99, not so much, which is not surprising, although it was sort of the most promising thing I've seen in a while, but it turns out LK99 is not. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, um, you know, it was this big uh, fad, um, you know, that everyone thought the AI was, was just gone. And then all of a sudden there was all this research with machine learning doing cool stuff and now people are like whoa you know it finally paid off so it was this this field that everyone sort of wrote off after not getting any real results and we're getting results so that gives promise that maybe we might actually get intelligent computers but that's not what what generative ai what not what machine learning is it is not an intelligent machine like people were thinking it is like the lawyers who had chat gpt write you know legal briefs thought it was that's not what it's doing right but that doesn't mean what it's doing isn't valuable. Um, you, It's just a complete misunderstanding of what it does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. And so that was um, the job recession being over. And I just want to mention my last article is Tunnel Crack. Um, VPNs, I don't I don't think an average consumer needs to use a VPN. And most advertising I hear just seems to be lying to people, telling them they won't be able to track you for ads, but they totally will. So I don't really know what benefit you get out of it. But besides, most VPNs are pretty badly implemented. I found out the hard way at City College, almost every VPN, the DNS goes outside the VPN. And what these guys found with this attack tunnel crack is that it's very easy to trick a VPN into thinking that traffic is local when it's not local and therefore sending it outside the VPN and so they found that essentially all commercial VPNs can be fooled by malicious um, server into leaking traffic that's not encrypted at all when you think it's encrypted. So it's uh, VPNs are not at all as good as people think they are. Um, what I will say is that if you're paying for a VPN to stop, it is very simple to set a VPN in your own house. So if you're at a coffee shop and you just want that extra layer of protection, 
you can do that and you get access to your home systems as well, which is great if you have a home network, which we all do. Um, you do not need to pay yep. a monthly fee for a VPN. That is silly. And in fact, I... it puts your information in the hands of a company that might not be entirely trustworthy. Oh, yes. But anyway, my favorite is S-Shuttle. S-Shuttle will tunnel everything, including DNS, over port 22 to an SSH server. That's my favorite VPN at the moment. That's the one that punches through the City College Firewall so students can reach their Azure cloud instances, which is my main use case. So but anyway. it, it, it's also pretty easy to set up a WireGuard or OpenVPN server running on port 443. Yes, but He's... that would not punch through the City College Firewall because the DNS is resolved outside it. I was very annoyed to learn that. So their DNS... Uh, you can... You can, you can... You can... You can configure, you have to specifically configure the VPNs to tunnel v, uh, DNS, DNS traffic. I tried that. It had the option and it did not work. I was very really? annoyed. The only thing that actually really worked was S-Shuttle. But yes. Anyway, um, almost no VPN actually tunnels 100% of the traffic. It's amazing how much they don't. Yep. Anyway, uh now we can get to the all-important flying aliens. Right. Uh, so it happened again. Uh, there were some alien sightings, this time in South America. So most alien sightings are in North America because we have this culture here. But there were aliens um, harassing village villagers in Peru. Uh, so let me pull up the article. There we go. Um, so this is on Vice, and this is written by... Nathaniel Janowitz. Thank you, Nathaniel Janowitz. Janowitz. Um, and so there were these flying aliens harassing villagers. Uh, but as always, they were just illegal miners with jetpacks flying around and kidnapping people, which is just always the case, right? Um, and that's pretty much the entire art, uh, article. So uh, these villagers in Peru were, were, this is like a remote village in Peru. They were complaining about these UFOs and, and being harassed. So finally, uh, the government and some investigators came down to take a look. And like I said, it just turned out to be illegal miners um, with jetpacks. Well, so jetpacks uh, are so practical. Them. You can just buy jetpacks and use them and they work? Sure. Why not? Well, you know, I've random criminals in Peru are flying jetpacks. Why aren't, aren't people just buying them and using them here? Are they that practical? I thought they were outrageous and dangerous and expensive and they didn't really work. Can you um, buy jetpacks? They are very expensive and very impractical. So why are random criminals using them in Peru? I, I think I think Zoom is is uh, bugging out on me, Sam. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, okay. Well, I uh, I have doubts about that. That random criminals have jetpacks that work. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe a better end it. I think it's enough for this one. I think we may have lost contact with Caitlin anyway. But we'll are you speaking, Sam? Yeah. Well. Yeah. And my thing is picking it up here. Are, are you speaking? I'm going to stop the recording. All right. What's going on, Sam? <laughs>